Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the Tap Calf Transmissions podcast, where tonight me oh, and I, Eckhart Slatter are going to be talking about Ronin, the Star Wars Visions novel, which came out, I think, last week. Uh, yeah. Yep. So this is a novel that kind of follows up on the first episode of the uh, Visions epi- episode. It's not really the right term, but the first sure. short in uh, mm-hmm. in Visions. So we're going to be talking about the background of the Ronin, where he comes from, where he's going and what he did in this book. Full spoilers if you haven't read it yet. Yeah. Uh, So you haven't read it and you don't want to be spoiled. Go Mm. read it first. We'll pause right here. We'll wait for you to be done. Uh, You Mm. have to actually press the button for that. But uh, but yeah, any news you want to get into before maybe some Ahsoka spoilers that we should Uh, or shouldn't get into, but... Yeah, I I don't think there's much to talk about. There's yeah. one character who's coming to Ahsoka probably, but other than that, yeah, not really a whole lot else for news for me it, anyway. What about yourself? It's Ahsoka. Uh, yeah. That was the big news. We got her. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think other than that, uh, I don't think there's much else we should really get into at this point. No, no. Let's just get right into the right into the novel. And uh, for those of you who missed the short or who didn't watch any of Visions. Basically, Star Wars Visions was a series of non-canon shorts set within the Star Wars, not really within the universe. There were different takes on the universe, often mm-hmm. using different uh, Japanese influences or anime influences. Uh, Ronin was one of my favorites. You were kind of middle of the pack on it, right? Yeah, I didn't hate it, but like it, I expected it to be one of the like top two or three for most people. For me, it was kind of uh, one of the middle ones. Mm-hmm. And I believe a, a Ronin is sort of like a lone samurai, right? It's uh, so... like a samurai without a lord. Mm-hmm. Or who's okay. lost their lord. Yeah, okay. So that's what that is. The The short itself is is really just about one battle between a the Ronin and I think she's just called the bandit in yeah. the short. Um, and it ends, spoiler alert, with him killing her, or at least putting a killing blow into her. And surprisingly, uh, this is not what I was expecting when I heard the book would be announced. Um, the book actually picks up immediately. The first 30 or 40 or 50 pages are kind of the short, and then it yeah. continues on quite an adventure. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of basic setup. Yeah, so uh, this is one of the one of the shorts that actually had one of the more divergent or clearly divergent backgrounds of how the galaxy is set up, or at least mm-hmm. how it gets fleshed out in the book. Because mm-hmm. the the short itself didn't have the most context for it, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, the empire here is more based on like historical Japanese influences. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's like the empire feudal... is yeah, yeah, and the Jedi are kind of serving the empire in that context. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's the Jedi serving the lords, and the princes are about to fight over the fact that uh, mm-hmm. the emperor is going to die. The emperor having been kind of reunited by a Sith rebellion 20 years mm-hmm. before that was, as we find out, started and led by the Ronin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so there's a few big reveals. One of them is that the Ronin was, in fact, like the original Dark Lord. Although one thing that's very different in this book versus like you kind of got to drop the the idea of what a Sith and a Jedi are. Yeah. Um, because the Sith in this, I, I don't think you describe most of them as, as evil. Um, like some of them do evil things like right. what we see from the, uh, the, the bandit in the short. And at the beginning of this book is certainly evil, but generally 
the Jedi and the Sith aren't defined by like their attunement to the light and the dark side of the Force. It seems like the Jedi, like like all Force users, kind of use both aspects of the Force, which are described as I think the white current and the what black current. It? Yeah, like it, and, it's yeah, it's very different from portraying it as mm-hmm. light and dark side. Mm-hmm. It, the the Sith are really defined by not wanting to serve the Jedi. That's kind of what the Sith yeah. are. Um, and the war that they start is basically because they don't, because when you become a Jedi, it, it's even kind of more extreme than like the prequel era Jedi of Star Wars canon or legends. It's like you're taken as a child, you're put into service. A lot of the Jedi in service don't even really get to do anything because they don't have the force potential to become like a full Lord or Knight. Um, so it's a very kind of, you're, you know, your life set in stone. You've got very little options uh, and no control over your life, really. And that's kind of what Ronan was rebelling against. Again, he was the original uh, leader of the rebellion. And that's what it seems like most of the Sith, including the bandit herself, were rebelling against. Yeah, like the the main crux of the the Sith rebellion at first was that they wanted at least some idea of self-determination. Whereas mm. the Jedi, well, they had the... They, they do get brought up throughout the book as having initially had more noble goals of like service to the Empire. Mm-hmm. But then as the Empire gets corrupt, so too do the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially with the idea of like there's the hereditary Jedi lords on one side or the hereditary mm-hmm. Jedi. And then some of them end up becoming lords, which is presented as its own kind of weird thing with Hanrai. Yeah, because you're like half Republic or half Empire, half Jedi. You're like yeah. both doors. And the idea, I think the specifics of Ronan's rebellion was that uh, he decided to uh, kind of favor the survival of his guardians, which are kind of these lower tier Jedi who aren't mm-hmm. ever, who either aren't powerful or obedient enough to become true Jedi Knights. Mm-hmm. And get lightsabers. Yeah, they were essentially expected to die for their lord. And Ronan decides he's going to put the well being of his guardians above his lord. And that was kind of. Yeah, uh, where he went. I felt like we didn't actually get a whole lot of detail about like the specifics of what happened, mm-hmm. like the single incident. Um, but yeah, like on one occasion, he says it's because he didn't kill. Um, and it seems like, yeah, it had to do with him not throwing his guardians away. Basically, guardians are kind of what you'd call the uh, the Jedi who can't become knights. So. So, yeah, the Sith and this have a pretty noble goal. Um the Jedi themselves do seem to have like some element of nobility too. You often see yeah. them like they do try to save people. Um, but there is nothing about being a Sith necessarily that makes you a bad person. Like Ronan himself, he's made some serious mistakes, but he's never, you know, outwardly wanted to harm anybody. Um, yeah. Well, well, he wants to so. go out and hunt all this stuff because he sees the, he sees what they've done to the galaxy as being on him. Mm-hmm. Cause like as much as the Sith started off as this, uh, mm-hmm. more noble, like, oh, we don't want to be forced into service this way. We want to have some control over our lives. They mm-hmm. end up doing the same thing to the people they force to fight for them as well, where yes. they abduct their own kids to you or different groups of kids to use as their own soldiers. And that's the case with uh, Akia, one of the mm-hmm. other characters in the book. And like, there's not really anyone in the book who is presented as the villain through and through. Usually when someone is uh, being shown to be a villain, it's because they are doing something where they are putting their own wants or their own Mm -hmm. goals for the galaxy above everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's true of almost every character at some point in the book, but it's not true of any character for the entire book. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a, I think that's a good way to put it. it it's, yeah, so th that's, a, that's a good point because, of course, it does end up, the rebellion does end up going kind of to dark side in a way because, like you said, they're using kids even as kind of soldiers. Yeah. So not super epic there. It is nice to see like a discussion of like the Jedi and Sith and quote unquote light side and dark side in Star Wars that isn't just reliant on the like baseline tautology of they're bad because they're the dark side. Mm -hmm. They're good because they're the light side. And instead mm -hmm. looking at no, they're bad because of these things they're doing and how they're going about it without it just being like, oh, their eyes turned kind of yellow. So that makes them mm -hmm. evil. Yeah, um, that, that's a good point. So how did you feel about that? Because on, on on one hand, I was very surprised with what the book kept from the original kind of short. And on the other hand, I was a little surprised where it deviated. Mm -hmm. um, like for one, I didn't expect the uh, the bandit to be to return. So mm -hmm. basically the, the, the kind of main conflict in this book is that the there's this we don't know what it is initially it turns out they think it's this this character called the sith witch um who is kind of ronin's partner in the rebellion um and somebody's reanimating people basically so ronin kills um kills the bandit and she's back uh she gets reanimated and she's kind of under control of not sometimes direct control, but often just kind of like suggestions of this mm -hmm. outside force. Um, and I thought her character was, was, I'm still not really sure how I felt about it because she's made to be, and again, this is the character who's kind of like you see in the short uh, oppressing this, this town and, you know, villages are probably going to be killed and have been injured. Um, so, like, I, I didn't expect them to, I didn't expect the author to try to make her of kind of, you know, redeemed character mm -hmm. by the end. So I thought that was interesting. I'm still not sure how I feel about it, but, yeah. yeah. That's kind of the thing with, like, the least morally gray area where, like, she was mm -hmm. trying to wipe out a lot of this town and just raid them. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas, like, even the witch later on, it turns out the the witch who is kind of portrayed as the main big bad throughout uh, as the person who's talking to all the characters, telling them to do things in their head. And also they suspect her of being the one that's bringing, reanimating all the corpses. Uh, but it mm -hmm. turns out that's actually two different characters uh, being the witch and also uh, the Ronin and the witch's daughter, who mm -hmm. is the one actually bringing people back. And she's basically hoping to use them as a reanimated army that when enough Sith and Jedi have died, she'd have a whole army of reanimated zombie Sith and Jedi to use against the Jedi uh, and mm -hmm. take them down because she kind of wants to see the Empire burn. And by yep. the end, the Ronin kind of breaks her ability to do that, and she has to use more mundane means if she wants to try to get some justice in the world. Yeah, because he basically sees her doing like the exact same thing that he did. Like yeah. she's She wants to start her own rebellion and... It's kind of the end of the book is like him just realizing that it's just going to be like a cycle of kind of never ending destruction. Like it's in a way, it's not a super hopeful book because there's no real answer to that. Like, mm -hmm. because even though he does prevent her from like, because a lot of the story is him dealing with his guilt from, you know, all the things he's caused. But like guilt or not, something still needs to change. And that's going to involve a lot of bloodshed. And there still is this war 
that's not really even on the horizon. It's pretty much already begun. Yeah. Um, and is now probably going to... It's basically, they describe it as um, the all the, the feudal princes who control vast territories are kind of like looking for a reason to fight each other. And now the book ends with this mysterious imperial homeworld, um, which had been, it just straight up disappeared. It returns... Um, so I imagine that's probably going to be the, the source of conflict. You're going to be fighting for that, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, it's been frozen in time, basically, for 20 years. There were some definite, like, Zonama Seacott elements in it, where mm-hmm. uh, the witch has kind of become the planet in mm-hmm. a way. Like, she's dead, but she's able to persist on the world. Mm-hmm. And that's where the daughter is, because there's a, a giant... Like Kyber mirror room, basically, which allows her to see pretty much everything going on in the galaxy and project her power. That's how she's mm-hmm. able to reanimate all the Jedi corpses. So once uh, at the end of the book, Ronan kind of jumps through the mirror with her, breaking it. She loses control over all of them, and most of the ghosts uh, kind of dissipate. There's still uh, the mm-hmm. Traveler and uh, Kuru, the Bandit, that stick around i was wondering yeah so because she takes a shard of the mirror with her and i was wondering whether that was what was keeping the traveler and the bandit kind of in ghost form or whether they had like achieved some sort of like uh force ghost form it does seem like the implication throughout is that like the ghosts end up tied to the kyber in some way because like that's what akia is trying to do is get all the the kyber Mm -hmm. shards to the planet then when she does uh that kind of all those ghosts dissipate along with the shards so right. it does seem like that part of the mirror is kind of what koru and fox are tied to uh even though there's Which also an additional element of like they need to accomplish something still whereas the rest mm-hmm. they don't it's a bit weird too because like a lot of the end of the book for koru is kind of in that's the name of the bandit is she kind of just wants to like she doesn't she's afraid of the idea of constantly being manipulated and reanimated and whatever else so but I guess she's got a bit more freedom now. So I, I guess I was a little unclear. Is it the supposed to be the daughter who's communicating to all of them, or is it supposed to be the mother? So I'm pretty sure it's the mother who's doing most of the communication, but it's the daughter who's bringing the people back from the dead. And then it, it, there's a, it seems to be like a mix of both sometimes as well. But yeah, because like yeah. she's the one who wants him to wipe out it like get as many the daughter is the one who wants him to get as many soldiers as possible mm-hmm. and hopefully die but it does seem mm-hmm. like there's also some communication from the mother uh mm-hmm. unless it, it might have actually just been the daughter talking to them the whole time and only once they get to the planet that the the witch is it's able weird to because really talk part to of them the, that I, I think that's possible uh, maybe it's a bit unclear because sometimes it does i i assumed at the end that it was the daughter the whole time just because she's been manipulating things but then at other times like before you know like for a while it's unclear what because first of all you it's only ronin hearing it um so i thought maybe this was like the force talking to him or something because it's kind of slowly i i think actually fox maybe learns before or fox describes what's going on more before ronin but mm-hmm. or the traveler um but there are sometimes where Ronan's like, like she only said this because she knew me so well, or like she yeah. knew that that would bother me. So, yeah, because like the witch ultimately ends up being more of a benevolent person, and everyone mm-hmm. suspects it's her that's doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it is a little unclear, at least for me, at the end, which was meant to be which. 
which was meant to be yeah, the witch. Which, which was which, yeah. But uh, I do think there were elements of both. And I think part of it, maybe I'm just making an excuse for how, uh, for my own misunderstanding, but I think there was an intentional bit of ambiguity to mm-hmm. some of that with how much like uh, self-determination and identity is a role in everything here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's like you said, it, it's very easy until the very end to kind of assume that the witch is an evil force because they do seem to be the one kind of e- like purely evil entity. Like the Ronin's trying to, you know, kind of dial back some of his evil. Same with the other characters. They've all done good and bad things. But even at the end, we kind of learn that the witch, you know, she's got her reasons for doing what she's doing. Um, and like, it also kind of helps put uh, Ronan's kind of rebellion into perspective a little bit too. Yeah. She's ultimately doing pretty much exactly what Ronan was mm-hmm. doing. And also what the, he was rebelling against in the first place. Cause mm-hmm. All, all three sides here of her, the Jedi, and the Sith, ultimately forcefully controlling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. I didn't, I didn't think about that, but that's a good point, actually. Like, I was actually thinking towards the middle of the book that it would turn out that the witch just didn't actually exist in any way, and was somehow uh, the Ronin that was. I never got that feeling. Split. I thought it might be like end up being something more like the force, like a, like right. like the living force or something. Yeah. Is that was my thought towards the start or... of the book? But yeah, that yeah that that was my too. I was thinking maybe that's like how all Jedi or Sith in that universe operate, but yeah, yeah. not quite, not quite. Um. So yeah, were you surprised by the direction the book went from the beginning? Did you like it? Like is like, how did you feel about the uh, the bandit kind of being a recurring character? Would you rather they kind of moved on and have that be a sort of distinct beginning section or or what? Yeah, I ended up liking the character of Koru later on, but uh, I, I do think like the connecting that to the bandit in the initial uh, initial scenes was a, a little bit more of a stretch than some of the other stuff. Uh, mm. But I do think having that as a way to set up like these Jedi or Sith are coming back uh ultimately works more than it doesn't because uh, mm. then you really just have to contend with the whole well she's clearly just raiding this village situation but i because I, it's not trying to present her as being a good person either so it's not i don't think it's really that big of a problem no, that she gets redeemed later because like everyone's not, yeah, dealing with their own the fact that they screwed up just we don't really see much from her in terms of thinking about doing that kind of thing. It was more Mm -hmm. how she was struggling with being controlled or being in the rebellion in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, The initial few chapters that were covering the, the short were, it took me a bit to get into it from there, but like once it actually started to get rolling on its, on its own topics and terms, uh, I started to get really into the book. Like I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was really, really good as well. The writing could be kind of dense sometimes. Mm-hmm. It might have been because I felt like I was rushing a bit, but especially towards the end. Um, I, I, for me, I was actually a little disappointed at the beginning that the witch came back or that the uh, the bandit came back because I was definitely hoping for more of a small scale story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was pulled off in the end. Like I think, I, th- I think overall it turned out well, but I was definitely hoping for more. Kind of, this is the bandit kind of, or the, sorry, this is the Ronan wandering. Um, so yeah, well, I was a little disappointed when 
it turns out they were tying it into the initial kind of mission, so to speak. Yeah, so, like, when you found out, when did you start thinking, like, oh, this guy's clearly the the Sith? I I had my kind of guesses early, but I was not ready to, like, I hadn't internally confirmed it until the book did. Like, I, right. I wasn't, I wouldn't have guessed for sure until the book did. What about, so, what? did that, like... Was that part of that disappointment, like that it was tying it in too much there? Or by then, had you already come to no, terms with it being a bigger I was, story? I, was, I think by then I was. I found it kind of compelling. Like the, I just, I just, I think my main problem was I thought the book lost a little bit of its charm. Um, like after the kind of the first two planets, like I like the kind of taking time to describe his surroundings. You know, he's traveling down the trail. Uh, you know. He's like, it's it's kind of doing world building in that way, which I really enjoyed. And then I mm-hmm. felt that some of that was still there, but some of that was also lost as the book kind of increased in scope. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, like, I, I started getting the feeling that he was kind of the Sith soon after he started traveling with, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's the ship called? This the Orcrow? Crow, the Orcrow? Crow? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to call it the Sad Crow, but... I'm like call I, I started crow the whole time. Yeah, I started to get some some feelings that that was the case relatively early on. So I was like kind of prepared for it to be more of a bigger scope thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Were you uh, were you disappointed, or did you appreciate how little Star Wars there was in it? Because, like, if you change Jedi and Sith, that's pretty much all you need to do to remove the Star Wars angle from it i mean that's all you need to do to remove the like the codified star wars angle from it but i still think it ended up feeling uh like it had a star wars core to it even aside Mm -hmm. from the fact that like the setting overall was so different because it it was different takes on these concepts but like Mm -hmm. a lot of the basics were kind of there and it was often highlighting some of the ways that it was different from uh, from what you'd expect as like an intentional comparison. So I, mm-hmm. I don't feel like it was a situation where it's just like uh, a different story that happened to have the Star Wars label put on it. But because mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that was something that people said about uh, some of visions to start with, mm-hmm. uh, and I certainly felt that way about some of the visions uh, shorts. But I, I feel like it, it actually work really well here even though the tone is also very different from what you get from Mm -hmm. a lot of other star wars books but maybe uh it is a bit more similar to like alphabet squadron so Mm -hmm. maybe having read those so recently it was a very easier for me to pull in yeah there's there's like five characters really um which is good because you know not many characters to remember but it's also it can be tough to read it because you've got your there's a lot to remember about each character and like how they interact and yeah. Uh, which, but I, I think it's pretty rewarding in the end. Um, there was, there was a little, there was, I, I think only one kind of wink and nod at the Star Wars series. Did you catch that when they were talking about like the kind of an allusion to Obi Wan and Anakin? Uh, I don't think I did. No, I forget what the context is, but they're talking kind of about legends in the past. Um, and one, th- there's two specific references. One is. Uh, kind of about Yoda 
where it talks about a Jedi master who had um, been on a planet by, I think, I think Yoda is described as a, as a woman um, and trained future Jedi or something. And then the other is about um, two brothers. One lets themselves die so they can reappear as a ghost and train the son who will redeem the brother. So it's, right. it's supposed to be the Obi-Wan and Anakin and Luke yeah. thing, um, just kind of, which I, I kind of enjoyed because in, I mean, if, if you, if you are one of those people who are, you know, really, really into, into like canon and continuity, which I'm not, um, then you can even try to fit this into the universe by saying, Oh, this is just the very, very, very far future where like all of those tales are just legends at this point. But I don't think that's, something that I would have enjoy, but it's a nice wink and nod, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Good good stuff. I was so one thing that I did think that kind of fell off towards the end, uh, that I enjoyed more towards the beginning was uh Ikea. Like mm. she ended up being one of my favorite characters towards the beginning and middle of the book, but then when you get to the end uh, aside from just dropping the crystals on the planet, she doesn't really have much to do or say with anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, could she gets a few really good scenes in the middle where she's basically telling uh, the Ronin and Koru to shut the hell up and just do what she says. Mm-hmm. But after that, she kind of just fades back into the background and she kind of does the same thing, but I feel like she's more consistent throughout the book of like, being a supporting presence yeah. and she kind of has her own motivations, but they, she's never presented as being kind of front and center with the rest of the crew. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, especially because like her character is all about kind of how there's a human aspect to like these yeah. big philosophical wars that the Jedi and the Sith are doing, um, that are tearing the galaxy apart. And then at the end, it seems like another one of those is coming, not to the same extent because there's not four zombies being involved, but hmm. Um, you know, she's still going to be right in the middle of that, as are all the children that they've kind of been hanging out with. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of weird that, like, at the end, the apprentices just get the credit for unfreezing the planet and destroying... Mm-hmm. Uh, what did they call it? Like, the Sith Witch Illusion? Did, did they say she they beat the Witch or the Illusion? Either way, they get a lot of credit yeah, for that. they just say, like, the planet's get, got planet gets unfrozen and like the people who were on the planet kind of come back to life which is funny too because for them they've only been gone they get like thanos snapped out so they've been they think they've been gone for a week but they don't realize that it's actually been two decades at this point they seem to adjust to the fact that it has been like pretty quickly even though there's not much coming in from in the outside world they're all like joking about it and they're all saying oh you remember Mm -hmm. back when uh back when the sith invaded as a joke and that would seem like a week ago to them. So you'd think there'd be like some trauma still being experienced. And like, oh, no, we literally just got invaded, let mm-hmm. alone. Uh, no, we just lost 20 years of our lives. But eh. I, yeah, I think I think they'll hopefully they still have those 20 years. Like, I don't think they would have aged, but yeah, uh, they they basically were frozen and then it's unfrozen, like frozen in time. So. But yeah, it was kind of funny. They were just like describing people just like doing their laundry and shit and like, oh, yeah. I haven't cleaned my house in 20 years and it's full of mildew now. Yeah, because there's like a... Sleep flies everywhere. There, there was the one thing talking about like a, a butcher shop, I think it was, one of the stores mm-hmm. where all their stuff had gone bad and then another store yeah. that wasn't selling perishable. So it was still yeah. pretty much okay. Yeah, not not epic uh, for the, the, 
the meat man at all. Is this the first time that uh, Star Wars has had a trans character? No, I don't think so. Um, I think there have been definitely non because the traveler in this is non-binary as well. Um, yeah. In that, they're they're also an alien character. So like whether that's a species thing or a kind of chosen thing, like or not chosen, but you know what I mean. Whether it's a yeah. species wide thing or an individual thing, I'm not sure. But there have been others, but. This is probably the most, and there's also the, uh, you're referring to, the, there's like a student as well. Uh, right? You a hero. Yeah. 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 Um, other than that, I, I can't really think of too many, but even that was, I mean, in people are me like, oh, it's just, I mean, you know, thankfully the, the people who would complain about this probably aren't going to read the book, but um, it's, it's not like, it, it's just, it just feels natural when you read it. So yeah. like. There's going to be the complaints, but they're just yeah. stupid. There was something the author said about like uh, representation in books, where it's like to people who want to criticize it, they call it like pandering for whatever reason. But mm -hmm. she was like, these people are in books because they're real, real people that exist. For a lot of the authors writing it, that's their own lived mm -hmm. experience that they're representing. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's very little of it in Star Wars so far. Because like it was a big deal when uh, there were the uh, the Mandalorians and Fate of the Jedi that I think was the first homosexual couple in Star Wars across like yeah. nine hundred books. Yeah, the only one I ever hear people talk about is what's her name, the Cathar from Juhani. Uh, yeah, I, I am... can't even remember if if yeah, like uh, Knights of the Republic isn't really fair because it's player decision, but. Well, she was originally going to be uh, only a romance option for female player characters, but then because mm -hmm. uh, because of a bug, apparently, uh, mm -hmm. it was available to male or female characters. Mm -hmm. But I, it, I've kind of been thinking, like, when the remake comes out, there's going to be a lot of complaints with people posting that Juhani is now uh, a lesbian or something because SJW writer. I, I just know the same shit that's come up since the remake was announced is going to be put forward by people who didn't realize that was a thing in the base game too. Mm -hmm. it, it's just incredible how far some people will go to get mad at representation. Yeah. And especially when it's like, it's Star Wars. Like, yeah, this may be a strange concept to you. And like, yeah, like for me, I I don't know any non-binary people in real life, so it, like it it is a bit like I don't it's 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 harder for me to relate to a character, but it's also like you know I'm getting exposed to something I wouldn't normally like. What's that's the whole point of reading? <laughs> yeah, but but um but yeah, it it was like it it was it was interesting, and that's something Star Wars like Star Wars canon has had again not in the not in the in the movies. But in the books, it's had plenty of gay characters and whatnot, yeah. which is cool. Even a squadrons, squadrons had a non-binary character as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I know the... Traveler was definitely not the first non-binary character, but no, there was another one, and I think Aftermath also had one. One of the pirates, like the one who had the Super Star Destroyer. <laughs> but yeah, again, I, I, I'm in a way, I'm a little bit like. This book hasn't been getting much conversation. Maybe part of it is because it's, um, but like to me, the fact that there haven't been a million YouTube videos about this kind of, I was a little bit surprised 
when I read yeah. it because like this is like you know what people would be complaining about. Yeah. I think part of it is that uh, a lot of people are into Star Wars for the uh, part of a continuity element. And if they're going to read a standalone book, they'll probably read something else mm-hmm. or just not read. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know how much of a reach it's had yet. but Yeah, which is kind of disappointing because it was, I mean, which is, I feel like if that's your th- opinion, I, I get it. But maybe give it a try because it was very nice to have a book that wasn't being shackled by like all of yeah. that stuff. Like you can have the technology, do whatever you want. You can have the story, do whatever you want. You can tell different stories without having to worry about whether you're going to, um, offend lore from some source book. So. Yeah. yeah. Do you think we'll get, uh, more either standalone visions, novels or a follow up to even this directly? I don't think we'll get a follow up to this directly. I do think it's possible we get, I don't know. I just, part of me feels like this, the cynical side of me feels like this book was probably made as much to promote Disney plus on bookshelves as it was to follow up the actually like artistically follow up the story, if you know what I mean? Um, So now that visions is already kind of old news. Like I just kind of feel like if they were, if they would have done another if they plan more, they would have done it. I do think it's more possible that we get a follow-up of some sort to, uh, was it the 12th Jedi, 7th Jedi, 9th Jedi? 9th Jedi. Jedi, yeah. Well, there's going to be uh, there's gonna be some toys coming out in the next couple weeks for, uh, yeah, for Ronin, Ronin, the and, twins as well. Yeah. And yeah. I think there was one other one, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean... I would definitely like. I, I feel like the the studios that made the stories left a lot of them purposely open for more, more like Lop and Ocho. Yeah, pretty much ends like at the beginning point of the story, and the the same is true. Like Lop and Ocho and um and Ninth Jedi are even more so than Ronin. Pretty much like prologues to a larger story. Um, yeah. yeah. I think like thematically, this book probably accomplished everything that it wanted to set out to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that they're going to be like uh, really pushing to get a, a second one, like from no, the creative side, let alone like obviously the the corporate reasons for making any specific project or including anything in a specific project are obviously going to be very different from the specific desires of what the author or creator of a show or whomever would want to get across in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah no i agree um i just i don't know i just i I don't think there's any more story that needs to be told in this in this you know i I feel like maybe you start to lose a bit of the kind of fun aspect of this story too if you try to like you know we have a multiverse of like seven different star wars continuities going on right and like yeah, like if you're writing Ronin two, then like Ronin one is written with only twenty minutes of a short to follow. Um, yeah. So, do you think it's more likely we get a, a follow up on some of the shorts or more novels that are kind of one offs with them? To Sorry, explore you, those. You, so, you, uh, uh, do you sorry. think it's more likely for the other shorts that we get? a couple more novels that are maybe standalones for that, or that we get like a, the, the kind of likely season two of visions, including a few follow-up animations for 
I think definitely the season two of Visions. It just for me, it makes sense from a, a money perspective. Yeah. Um, like, I'm, I'm sure Ronan will sell decently well. It's a, it's like every Star Wars book pretty much does. Um, but I think Visions was well received, and I think it does a good job of pulling in other communities, yeah. like the anime community, um, fans of otherwise, you know, traditional Japanese storytelling or, or whatever else, or whether just the fans of the various studios. Uh, with a book, you're appealing to a pretty narrow base. You're not increasing your Disney Plus subscriber count, you know. Um, well, I mean, more. Uh, I, I think we both agree that we're almost certainly getting like a Vision season two at some point. I mm-hmm. just mean, do you think that is likely to include follow ups or just be new stories? Oh, okay. Um, that's a really good question. I don't. I don't know. I. I could see them. I could see them following up with with Ninth Jedi. I think is probably the only one. Mm-hmm. I think that I could see being followed up with. Um, I don't know if they would mix them in. What do you think? I I I genuinely don't know either way. Like that's kind of why I'm thinking if we do end up getting follow ups on any of them, a book is kind of the, almost the most likely way to do it. Because like mm-hmm. I, I do think like one of the things that really draws people in for a potential visions thing is that there is no homework to do beforehand almost mm-hmm. that you just come in and watch it and then That's if true. they start building up on the prior ones then it's less likely to have some of that appeal mm-hmm. uh so th- with there, there's got to be at least a few of the studios that would probably push to be like oh we want to do ninth jedi part two or mm-hmm. uh lapanocho part two but mm-hmm. i don't know what I found kind of interesting, sort of on this note, is uh, Marvel's What If, which is kind of an interesting mm-hmm. comparison because they're both, I guess, I mean, technically, I guess Marvel's is canon within the MCU multiverse, like whatever. But um, I, I didn't watch all of those, but I watched enough to do a video on one of them. And I, I assumed that they were all going to be kind of independent. And at first they were. It seems like, again, I've only watched a few of them, but it seems like the first few were kind of their own stories. Like, what if X happened differently? But then by the end, it seems like the last three or four kind of told one overall story. Um, So, I mean, I I think you can sell the whole without kind of compromising it. You know what I mean? Like, I think you can still sell that idea. Yeah. Visions is kind of something. While also having, you know, one or two stories that kind of change or that kind of build off something else. That's a good question, though. I don't know. So we'll we'll see which way it goes, but I think I'd be shocked if we didn't get at least like mm-hmm. a vision season two or series two yeah. or collection two or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, me too. And again, it is such a good way to get new fans in because, like, I don't think I also don't think that like Disney has a whole lot of anime offerings. I could be wrong, but so. Anyway, well, a lot of that is owned like uh, Funimation or Crunchyroll owns the exclusive mm-hmm. distribution rights for like mm-hmm. almost everything. So it's yeah. My favorite problem. anime, King of the Hill, is on though. I think on Disney Plus. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? It's a Fox show, right? Uh, I'd actually, I, I'd unironically just start watching that as soon as I'm done Dragon Ball Z because I, I hated it growing up. But, oh, me too. But then I'm like, when I start watching it now, I'm like, this is even funnier than The Simpsons. Yeah, I because I think I took it almost at face value more as a kid mm-hmm. rather than how yeah. Mike judge actually intended it. So <laughs> like there's one scene, I think my favorite scene from uh, King of the Hill is he's talking to, um, 
uh, what's his name, um, John Redcorn, in the car. Hank is, and he's talking about like something, and John Redcorn starts getting emotional, and he starts crying, and he goes over to give Hank a hug, and Hank goes, ah, ah, like it's <laughs> like it starts framing like it's a horror scene, and it's so it's so fucking funny. And like as a kid, I would have been like, that's so stupid, but like as an adult, it's like the fact that this like. 35 year old man is like so scared of like even the basic like affection between men like that's really funny that's something that's been really hard for me watching the simpsons or king of the hill or any of the shows like that where Mm -hmm. like they've been on since i was so young Mm -hmm. but then like now i'm so much closer to the age of the weird dads in that show than the Mm -hmm. kids and that that just depresses me yeah, like what's Homer Simpson's canonical age? Like, I think he's like thirty six. Thirty five. Yeah. Yeah. So, thirty six. Yeah. So half a de- little more than half a decade off. Much closer to him than uh, than Bart. Than Bart. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, King of the Hill. It's got a lot of funny moments like that. Just like that when you're not politically minded or like tuned into stuff as a kid, just you don't get it at all. But as an adult, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> all right any uh any final thoughts or any other things you want to cover with ronan because we covered a lot of the plot i think we covered a lot of the themes mm. no i really liked it um yeah. yeah i i had a bit a few interactions with the author on twitter uh and they were really nice as well um let me just find one second get the account name her name is emma Candon. um so you can you can follow them on twitter and yeah, she's really nice. Like you can talk to her about Ronan and she'll answer. And also Matt Martin tweeted, what's everyone's favorite Star Wars novels? And she answered Wraith Squadron. So Wraith Squadron and uh, the Young Jedi Knights books I think, as well. Yeah. So that's quite a, no, it's not surprising. We like this book. Um, yeah. But yeah, great. Yeah. I, I did get some Wraith Squadron vibes from how some of the characters in red, like the, the Star mm-hmm. Wars Suicide Squad yeah, and the co- the focus on camaraderie and whatnot. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so... I definitely felt so. The, the, the Wraith Squadron thing. It was definitely felt like a mix of Wraith Squadron and Alphabet Squadron, without the actual squadron aspect. Yeah. So, rather than ranking it for now, it, it's probably going to fall in like the A or S range for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rather than coming up with a specific letter now. Uh, even though letters are arbitrary and reductive, um, mm-hmm. we, we will give it an arbitrary and reductive letter like everything else. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, but I have I have a proposal for you. Okay. I'll run this by you just quickly. Okay. We finished Young Jedi Knights. Yes. We finished Black Fleet Crisis. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing The New Rebellion as our next major book. Yep. <laughs> we don't have, <laughs> we don't have a, a little mini series thing for the intervening weeks just yet. So you're saying next week you want to do the... The, the re-ranking. Okay. All right. There you go. I'd be cool with that. We can do that next week. We'll take a good crack at the uh, at the list. Good greasy um, crack right at that good list. Good greasy... Good... If you want to see the rankings as they stand right now, we should have a link in the description yeah. of the YouTube stream as well as on the podcast feed to a spreadsheet that goes over it. And then next week we'll be uh, modifying that. We're still missing a few episodes, right? Uh, yeah, there's. Uh, I don't think we've added in the ones that we were emailed just yet. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and I think there was one or two missing. Maybe we can try to do that before the yeah for sure the ranking. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, anything else you want to say about the book? I I will say, I like I'm I'm thinking A, but just because of a bit of the writing was, but I I got to think about it. I would I could definitely, as as you said, we'll talk about it next week. I started having it like. I started thinking like almost every book we read, my initial reaction after reading is like S tier, best book ever. So I, I need to I need to start taking some more time after reading it to like I was even feeling that way after like Crystal Star to a little bit, to a little degree, mm-hmm. and that's what made me really start thinking about it. Like I wasn't gonna give it an S, but I was gonna like, well this is this is actually really good. It's an A. But it, it's it's fine. I actually enjoyed Crystal Star, but yeah, yeah it, I know what you mean. But going in thinking I would really dislike it. And mm. coming out thinking like, no, this was good. And I wanted to rank it really highly. But then I go and look at the other stuff that I'd be putting in above. I was like, mm, yeah, probably no, not. I, I feel that. But that's like for me, uh, that's me with movies. So like when I started for a while, I was like rigorously updating my IMDb page and like I would have it. So five was a was a good average movie. Five was good. Ten was very rare. Amazing. Um, but I don't know, for some reason I can't force myself to do this with these books. Um, but like, I wish that like, that was kind of the more kind of accepted way to rank things. Like I I wish a five was not necessarily like if someone ranks, if like basically when it comes to game reviews, eight is, eight is an okay game. A nine is a good game and a 10 is a great game. And if like Halo infinite gets under a 10, like the fucking Halo subreddit's going to shit their pants and start crying. So it's like, it makes the vast majority of like, it makes the whole zero to seven completely useless. Like seven, it might yeah. as well be fucking vapor, or I almost said vaporware. Um, what's it called? Uh, Aquaman. No. Um, anyway, shit, a shit game. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I can still... Well, I'm gonna have to think about it. I'm gonna have to do some self-reflecting. I like think. we should be ending up with C as the average, and then bell yeah. curving out from there. Because like Ilkin was saying that we were, uh, I think, giving everything F's or S's, and that's just that, that clearly, clearly false. It's fake news. He's yeah. a fake fan. That's why he's not invited back until we get to Vector Prime. <laughs> Unless he wants yeah. to come back, then he can come back. Anytime, 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 anytime. <laughs> Instantly, 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 instantly say yes. Put <laughs> a book instantly on the podcast. He's gonna have no to, idea what we're talking about yeah. there. So but. I tried to explain that joke to Kelsey, and she looked at me like I was a fucking idiot. So. <laughs> Same thing happened with Dana, and she watched the clip with me. Yeah, like, I remember it being so funny in the moment. Then I went yeah, back it, and watched it. Was it. it was funny. like I watched. Really, I thought it was pretty funny. When well, I it, it wasn't because I was like waiting for the moment where we were both dying laughing in the video. I was like. Oh, this was this was it for me. Which I think Charlie's laughing, which was causing me to laugh. <laughs> anyway, this is like this is the shittiest podcast content ever because yeah. nobody's any clue or talks about. Basically, right. just a joke from a stream we did, and it's yeah, it's not that funny. Instantly digressed. Uh, <laughs> okay, you wanna you wanna do some emails before we head off into the yeah, wild green yeah, yonder? Yeah. yeah, that was a Futurama reference, which is also a reference I, to other stuff. I don't like Futurama as much as Simpsons Ring of the Hill. Really? Okay, that yeah. that's an incorrect opinion, but maybe that was maybe that was something that I'd appreciate more as a as a grown up. But I think it's better. Yeah. I, I can understand someone liking King of the Hill more than it if that's where they're coming from. But I mm-hmm. I, I just think it's like 
better Simpsons, but it has a specific theme. It's just, I think that theme would apply to you more in space. So I don't know. The space theme was kind of one that I actually made me like it. Cause it just it made me like it less. Cause it just felt almost like too silly, I guess. Well, like, yeah, I don't know. When's the last time you tried to watch it? Oh, ages, ages ago. Maybe give it a, give it a try. Give it a few yeah. episodes. It's definitely like, I'm sure. Yeah. Cause it's not like I, I disliked it for me. I just didn't like it as much as the Simpsons. Right. Um, but I also grew up where like, it was like literally prime Simpsons on every night. Yeah. Like first six to watching that monorail episode on repeat back to back. Yeah. And I was so young and dumb that like, you know, there were only eight episodes, but or eight seasons, but you know, I'd, I'd forget about the time they rolled around again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, do you have the email open as well? Or should I just... Uh, I will open it. You, If you can get the first one, I'll get the second one. Unless you don't have them open. Uh, Matrix is asking, when you get to the NJL, will you just be reading the main books or will you also do some of the comics as well? Uh, there's actually not that many comics, is there? Just the Elysian series. Yeah, there's not many, but there's also some short stories like Elysia in there. Uh, just because of the way we structure the podcast where it's like, we don't typically want to do two long books right after each other. That'd probably be episodes yeah, that we be might nice, put in like nice an invasion way, yeah. comic or a short story uh, or jumping back for another comic series or something we have going. You know, it drives me crazy when I see all these YouTube and no, no hate to any one person. Cause I've done this too. I see all these YouTube videos on like the Yuzhan Vong and they use the same like three images when like the invasion comics, especially the, uh, What's the first arc called again? Because um, there's like, isn't there like Refugee, Revelation? Anyway, whatever the first one is. Are you just thinking some, of the Force Heretic book titles? Maybe. Invasion Comics Star I think that, Wars. But yeah, there's really not much visually to go off of with the with the NJL. Refugees, though. Rescues, and Revelations. So I was pretty close. The Refugees one especially has some really cool art of yeah. like the Vong attacking planets and stuff. Um, so that's why nice. when we get to it in TR, I'm going to just render a bunch of uh, battle scenes for stills and just have like 15 of them that I can use for stuff. Well, I, the funny thing is, like, I, I think it's Rescues is like the only Star Wars comic that has like a bunch of ships in it. Like it's got like the Republic class. Yeah, it's got the Reptavian. The, yeah, and it's got... um a bulwark in it as well. Like just a yeah. bunch of weird ships that like, it's kind of cool. And, and I mean, he, he, he or she, whoever the artist was followed the, uh, Kraken's threat dossier. Unfortunately, cause there's also like, there's a, there's a few endurances, but they're like the threat dossier endurances, which yeah. are really weird. Um, the weird thing with the bulwarks there is they're like landing on the planet, evacuating people. Mm-hmm. But it's like one of the only pictures of the bulwark. There's yeah. that rebellion. Yeah, yeah, and they're like the most un- they're like always described as like the most unwieldy ship ever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but right. yeah, so thank that'd you, be fun. There's like fifth or there's sixteen of those to go through, including the issue zero, so that could be fun sometime. Also, thank you as well, Matrix, for the computer advice. Um, next up, we have Connor, who says, uh, "Hi, I can Corey. Question for you in regards of the Chist ascendancy or to the Chist ascendancy, how they are changing between Legend and the Canon. Uh, broadly, what do you think?" The new of the new chess ascendancy is becoming less esoteric and more of a traditional oligarchy and losing some of those traits that made them interesting. 
So what do you think on that? Because you're much more of the uh, the chess expert than I am. I don't know if uh, if they've really lost any traits that have that made them interesting. I think they just had some of those traits explained more. Because uh, there's a few different ways. <laughs> yeah, there's a few different ways that the names work from before, but it's just slightly more consistent rules than there was where they they work fairly similarly but now i think it's actually more interesting with how like the the name adoption works uh like the things even if the names themselves aren't the interesting part uh the way that element of just society works i think is at least as interesting as it was before but it, it's never been an area that gets a huge amount of play yeah in books so uh i think if generally if people are less interested in it now it may just be because before there was a lot more room to just fill in the gaps with whatever you want like the chess have always kind of sucked and they suck as much as they used to now suck as in like they're uh really xenophobic mm-hmm. uh kind of self-righteous group where they've always kind of been that and now we just got three books about them being that yeah i uh, like do you get the most of the chiss in njo uh dark nest like, you get a little oh, bit of yeah. them and then outbound flight but like there was no ne- other than outbound flight there's not really anywhere in legend that they got really focused on unless you go into like the unknown region source book where they had a lot of information that just yeah didn't make much sense with a lot of what uh zan had either done before or would do in the future or what mm-hmm. troy denning did with them after the fact uh is it um is it this is it uh dark nest that has like the soon tier fell sending out um like those scenes, I can't remember. So you're no. sending out uh what's his name? His son. Um Oh NJO is when uh Jag goes to Yeah, yeah, well, I don't I don't know I forgot his name. Uh goes to the New Republic but to help against the Vong and then the, it also has like the the I'm books sure there's where like a scene on Chilla where like yeah, that's like I that's in NJO. That. That's in Refugee, okay. I think. Uh, and it's definitely in the Force Heretic trilogy because they go there when they're looking for Zona Masika. So they're mm-hmm. like in the library and they're kind of getting stuff hidden from them. They've got right. uh, people trying to target Soontir, which was like some fun internal politics, but yeah, it was um, more humans within it than it. Yeah. So good, good question. Thank you for that. And I'm just going to follow up with what Corey said. Uh, our next question is from. Uh, Auden, who says, how goes it across the pond? Like the subject asked, is calf just coffee? And yeah, calf is usually just coffee. And then a follow-up question is, then a tap calf coffee from a tap? And no, a tap calf, despite the name, can mean both a bar and also like a cafe. Um, yeah. Anything you want to add to that, Corey? Uh, no, you're the, you're the bar expert. Yeah. If I spend all my time in the Chiss Ascendancy, you spend all your time in bars, so... Yeah. No notes. Uh, um, so, we also have a question from Keenan who says, at the end of Greater Good... It, this is spoiler alert for Greater Good, by the way. Um, it is revealed that the myth control a super weapon called the Star Flash. I have two theories regarding the weapon's functionality. My first is that it's able to change the sun's output, freezing and killing planets. Uh, my second comes from Theron Alliance's being that the technology the Gris used to abduct... Uh, Mokivja's, I forget how you say that planet, moon to block hyperspace in and out of the two eras. So that's an interesting one. He kind of does point out that that could be related to why uh, Chilla 
uh, is frozen now when it wasn't in the past. Um, do you have any theories about that? I completely forgot about the um, the Star Flash. That's part of the problem about these Thrawn books. Yeah, I don't really have any theories on it, but I also may or may not have started reading them. Okay, fair enough. How far are you? I'm not in, far. Theoretically, okay. When does that come out again? Uh, hmm. um, I don't think I have Will that be our ever. next big one after New Rebellion, or...? I think that probably does work out to being about a month from now. It's okay. a super long book. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next we have um, Andrew, who says, Hey, Justin Corey, just a quick email to say I love the podcast. Thank you. I've enjoyed the Young Jedi Knights run we've had over the past few months. I'll miss the in-depth breakdown of which Jedi Knight wrapped their anus around what. Listen, if you don't get that, watch the last uh, Young Jedi Knight episode. At the end of the of the ranking episode, we're actually going to rank all of the uh, all the things anuses were wrapped around in Young Jedi Knights. So, uh, stay tuned for that. That'll be a secret just for the patrons. <laughs> also, I'm thoroughly enjoying my X2 cum shirt. It's great. Okay. Oh, cat! No, this is not. On a more serious note, I know. Um, You've talked about reading some Halo books in the future, and I would be interested to hear your opinions on that universe. Keep it up, guys. What do you think about that? We haven't talked about it in a while. I'm still up for doing it. I've never read a Halo book before, so I'm kind yeah. of holding out for that being my my first Halo experience. In That could be a fun... Maybe we'll do that soon, then, because that could be fun if there's time... Around between... the time Infinite comes out, maybe? Yeah, yeah, actually, that makes a lot more sense than what I was going to say. Yeah, fuck me. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah around when infinite comes out so is that at the eighth can't remember that that's definitely a number i've heard before so i want to say that's right but i think i've heard it's all soon. the numbers before it's annoying because i got an xbox coming when that comes and they don't let you get oh yeah that fucking sucks anyways. yeah 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 shut the fuck up all right uh do you want to answer the last question from uh, mr joel of course yeah, so joel is asking my question to you today is this how do you think Star Wars books are written now compared to back in, say, the Bantam era? Not necessarily in terms of how they are prioritized in the hierarchy of canon, but more in terms of how is modern day writing compared to, say, writing in the 90s in terms oh, of what one can get away with, the certain styles of writing, and what authors in general seem to prioritize in their style, if that makes sense. Like, say, how the Thrawn trilogy is more pulpy than, say, the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, which is more dramatic, if that's a good example. Mm. Well, the question isn't too confusing. Nope, I think we both get what you're, what you're going for. Yeah, there. no, that's a that's a good question. I thought it was going to go a different way, and this is a more interesting one. Um, that, yeah, I do feel like Star Wars authors now have a bit more leeway to throw some style, um, like heavy personalized style into how they write the books. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes that can be good. Um, I had some issues with how Alphabet Squadron 1 was written, where it was a bit too melodramatic, and I thought that took away from it, and I don't think you would have seen that in Legends. I don't know if that's, like, some decree from on high, or if that's just maybe... Like, I just don't know enough about literary history or, like, enough about publishing. Maybe that was just what was commonly done among sci-fi authors back in the 90s. Um, another example would be Aftermath, where the author's personality came through in the writing way too much, in my opinion, and really takes away from the enjoyment of the book. Um, that sounds harsh, but it's just... When we when we eventually read it, you'll see Corey. <laughs> I think... But I, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to pass it over to you anyway. Uh, I think, like, in the 90s, there was more of a similar style they were going for in terms of, like, which authors they even hired. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas now I think there's more of a, a sense that Star Wars novels would have a broader appeal beyond just fans of sci-fi. So mm -hmm. 
they're probably approaching authors who wouldn't have been as involved in the 90s. Uh, like you still get a lot of books that are more in the vein of the 90s style, even if there's specifics in how some of it are done that are like uh, more decade dependent, like the Nirvana appearances and all the 90s mm -hmm. Phantom Era books. I thought that was a weird choice, but it's probably not that. something you'd see around now. Uh, mm. But good... like, no, yeah, sorry. The I think High Republic in terms of just like basic writing style and uh, the types of content covered ends up being a lot more like the Bantam era or uh, mm -hmm. even the Del Rey, early Del Rey stuff. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of Del Rey stuff for sure. Whereas High Republic and Ronin are the kinds of things that probably would have been outside of what they would have considered for a Star Wars novel in the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm generally happy that we have a, a broader range of it now because there are probably people who wouldn't necessarily like the uh the older style quite as much that may like some of the new stuff now mm. even if that does mean there's conversely people who really love that style who may not yeah. have this appeal to them quite as much either one thing that, and that that's a really good point um i think one thing that we saw a lot of in the 90s is like um people who had already done franchises sci-fi franchises yeah come in or who would go on to do other sci-fi franchises um whether of their own but often like um you know like star trek books so like michael stackpole he did the uh, the battletech universe um troy denning does a lot for halo now and i believe he did i don't know if it was like jurassic park or something before um karen travis also did halo um and i believe had other kind of uh, so I think there probably is something about writers who are used to writing within like predefined universes. Um, and I think that in a way the writing tends to be more accessible, um, in those books. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way whatsoever. That sounds like it's a slight against people who read like star Wars books. It's not, it's just like they're written for a, a very wide audience. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes the authors like Michael Stackpole, for example, his writing's not bad at all, but it's, it's very like, it's very accessible and easy to read in a way. And I wonder if that is because, you know, he, he's just like, he's good at working for a broad audience. I don't know. Um, yeah. And on a less positive note of how they're finding some of the broader pool of writers to go off of now, one thing that major franchises will often do, especially working for larger companies like Disney, who has had a lot of issues with uh, paying royalties to some of their authors mm -hmm. Uh, is that with a lot of these newer styles are going to newer authors who have a lot more sway in negotiating with them. So they're probably able to get away with paying people less. You mean a lot less sway? Oh, you mean Disney has more? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Disney has more sway. Yeah, the yeah. authors have less sway and they're probably not getting paid as much as if they were yeah, getting sure. like Timothy Zahn, Michael Stackpole, Troy Denning to write every book for them now. I will say I'm not a fan. This is like... They definitely have like a group of preferred writers. I mean, I guess they always did, but I do kind of miss when there's a bit more diversity, like in like in the Bantam era, I feel like they moved through a lot of different writers. Obviously you see like your Kevin J. Anderson's and then in the Del Rey era, you know, there's really like four or five authors that you see kind of time and time again. Mm -hmm. I I wish that they kind of kept to is like I see it now, like especially with like upcoming Star Wars books where it's like a lot of Alexander Freed, a lot of everyone um, who's doing like, like the High Republic is like what, four authors, I think. Yeah. Um, 
So for me, like it's a lot of Charles Soule, Claudia Gray, um, Justina Ireland, Daniel Jose Older, E.K. Uh, Johnson, I think her name is. And like, I don't necessarily have any problems with those authors in particular. Uh, there are definitely some that I like. I, re- I quite like Claudia Gray. I like Charles Soule less. Um, but it does, I think, limit the kind of like, you know, you've got less people like that's diversity is good. You get more ideas coming in. Um, so I, I hope that they continue to kind of pull off random, like, you know, one offs to come into and write a book like uh, was it Kathy Tires who wrote um, uh, Trisha was Bacara. that Trisha Bacara? Yeah. Like whether you like that book or not, I think it's very different than others. So. Yeah. And like Michael McDowell. Mm-hmm. uh yeah, Black Fleet Crisis, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's like if it's a bigger group of people that are more commonly right now, but there are fewer instances of like a mm-hmm. person writing one Star Wars book and then probably never mm-hmm. writing one again. Uh God, I when I was doing my NJR reread, uh what are their names? The ones who did the Revelation or Force Heretic, Shane Dix and Sean Wallace mm-hmm. Shane Wallace, I think. I mm-hmm. I started reading some uh, some interviews with them and one of them just seemed to have like the worst experience and <laughs> you wanted nothing to do with it. I mean, there's been a lot of that, like, and it's not just for one, it is royalties. Like you said, I mean, I'm, I don't think either of us are trying to pretend that we're experts in this at all, but just from what we've heard, there's like payment issues that yeah. they don't pay very well compared to like these books are very frequently, at or near the top of the the bestseller list, um, and they sometimes like especially in the Bantamer, it seems like there were a lot of books that like were fully completed then just never released or were scrapped yeah. for whatever reason. Heart of the Jedi, um, Heart of the Jedi, yeah, probably the most famous one. Um, part of and, the part of the breadth of authors during like the ninety three to ninety six era is just because like they had a book coming out every week and there was. 18 written at once so yeah it had some mixed effects yeah i mean if you want to like Ryder windham um has given you know a pretty brutal review of what and like he's the one he wrote a lot of reference books but like he wrote the star wars visual guide like the original one yeah um i i don't know when the original one was if it was i think there may have been one before the prequels but i'm not sure but basically that book gets released every year it's the exact same shit. They'll throw an extra five pages on and like, he hasn't been paid for that. And, you know, and I mean, if that's the contract he signed, like it is what it is, but it's also just kind of like, it, it is a bit of insight into, you know, how once you kind of, once you give yourself up to the, to star Wars, it's like, yeah, it's, any major franchise really. Yeah, exactly. I will say, um, I was at chapters yesterday, which is a Canadian, I think Canadian only bookstore. And I saw, I always go to the sci-fi section. I picked up uh, one book there, not Star Wars related, but I saw so much uh, R.A. Salvatore or Salvatore books there. Um, speaking of Vector Prime, so I was like, wow, he's killing it. He'd yeah. like, there were like two, there was one whole real shelf with just his stuff. So when I was like first getting into Star Wars, I got uh, Salvat- Salvatore confused with R.L. Stein. <laughs> <laughs> goosebumps author like why is the goosebumps guy 
<laughs> the Goosebumps writing <laughs> Star Wars. That's awesome. I don't I mean, even know how long it took me to get out of that mindset because it, it persisted a long time. Where I just thought they were the same guy. I can't believe the Goosebumps guy just killed Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it made sense. Like mm-hmm. Spooky shit. Yeah, not for sure. Um, <laughs> that is spooky. Oh, I saw Dune. Um, on uh, in the in theaters, by the way, I meant to talk about that. How was that? Interesting. It was really good, actually. Um, it's like I hadn't read the book, and it was Dune was the last book I read before law school. So, like, mm-hmm. there was one year, one summer, where I read like all of A Song of Ice and Fire. I would not have been surprised to learn that there had been no new entry by now. Um, I read all of Song of Ice and Fire. I read a couple of the Dune books, and I read like. Just like as much sci-fi as I get my hands on. And that one, it stuck with me. But like I went into the movie like not remembering anything other than like Benny Gesserit, which is like Lady Jedi. <laughs> um, of course, they came first. But yeah, the, the movie was amazing. It's like it's one, I think, if you're if you have any interest at all in seeing it, go see it in IMAX because it's it's like a spectacle. So mm-hmm. Dana went to see it uh, with like as like a work event. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen it yet. I've never read any Dune. I haven't read the Dune books. I haven't played I the old Westwood Dune game. I haven't seen the uh, old yeah. uh, is it David Lynch. Yeah, there was a David Lynch movie and also a yeah. TV series, I believe. So I haven't. I, I'd be going in completely blind. I was even going to talk about like doing potentially an episode on that next week if we weren't going to do the rankings. Oh, that'd be fun. We could do that at some point. I'm just not sure if I'll be able to actually see it. Can you do like rent at home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, you can get it at home. Well, it, it, we, well maybe we, we'll do that. We'll we'll have a a chat about it because it's it's. I would. It, I've been wanting to watch it again too. I would maybe even go to the theaters again, the theater again, and see it. Um, it was like I ended up seeing it the night it came out because I was just like, I was like, oh, it comes out tonight. I'm not really doing much. So I, Kelsey's like going to bed. I was I was planning on working late that night. I was like, I'm not gonna go see a movie. She's like, what? Like, yeah. So I get there. And for some reason, I assumed there'd be like COVID protocol and like distancing and stuff, but there wasn't. The theater was packed. I had people on both sides of me. Both of them fell asleep through the movie because it was like an 11 o'clock movie. This one old guy, he was he was done in within five minutes. He was loudly snoring. <laughs> was it rhythmic, so, though? No, as far as it was like, like just and like, yeah, it was like. What do they call it? Um, what's the torture where they like drip water on you? Um, is that Chinese water torture? Yeah. Um, it was like that because like the snore would come and then you'd be like, when's the next one coming? And like, is this snore going to interrupt this big scene? And you'd be like on edge and it wouldn't. And then like, <laughs> oh. yeah. And his family was sitting there just laughing at him. I'm like, wake him the fuck up. Like, I'm trying to watch this movie. <laughs> like, I don't know how you sleep through this in IMAX. Yeah, that's, that's expensive, like, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, it was a, it's a very, very loud movie. Like, it's, it's um, yeah, just got a lot of, like, panning shots with just, like, noise. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, we'll either do the ranking next week or we'll do a Dune episode mm-hmm. next week. We'll probably try to tweet it out by Monday, what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that we've moved into random conversations on other stuff, before we get more angry reviews, you can leave your review on any platform with the word 
let's have worm in it in in kind of doom dune themed. There are sandworms in the movie. But you have to use it as a verb. You can't use worm as a noun for the review. Or adjective. I'll say adjective as well. All right. If you want to call if you want, if you to... want to call something Corey did wormy, then listen. I'm fine with that. Well, has anyone ever I, I think we've had like two reviews where people use the word of the week. So there's been a few. We're, we're gonna uh, keep I'm doing just it. checking right now to see. I don't think oh we got one podcast review, five out of five. It is good. So thank you, that person. If you'd like to have your review listen read, listen to or read on the podcast, uh make sure you leave those. Send your questions in uh to tapcaftransmissions at gmail.com. Uh we'll hopefully do some other general questions at the end of the ranking episode, if that's what mm-hmm. we do, or if uh, if we do Dune, if you have any questions for Dune and you want to send those in, uh, if we don't end up doing an episode on Dune, we probably won't read the question on the podcast. But uh, if we do, it'll be it'll be there and ready. Yeah. That's going to do it for tonight for the podcast. Thank you for listening and watching and wearing your own plaid at home. Say we didn't coordinate this. Who would have guessed? Goodbye, everybody. Can we leave it here awkwardly? Goodbye, everybody. We're playing Phasmophobia in like 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. I, man, I got to pee so bad. I made it through the whole Dune movie without peeing, and I, I, drank, I, I, I drank four teas that day. I was, wow. like, I was like Ronin drinking teas. The only form of self-care. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was... Justin's recording messed up on the audio version, so the result of that was about 10 minutes of the following. Um, There's that in Rebellion. Um, 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 yeah. Um, All right. Um, Thank you, Matrix. Um,